I'm Chris May. I'm an optometrist in private practice in Coldwater, Ashland, and Tishomingo, Mississippi. And we're going to discuss early intervention with MIGS this evening. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the discussion. My name is Justin Schweitzer. I'm an optometrist at Vance Thompson Vision in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We're a uh, ODMD uh, referral practice. And really excited to be here with the two of you to talk MIGS. Thanks, Justin. Chris. Hi, Jill Autry. I'm in Houston, Texas. Uh, very much like uh, Justin's practice, ODMD uh, for Optometric Referral Center, uh, where we take care of the tertiary uh, and secondary care of optometry's uh, uh, patients in the community. So let's start with the absolute most fundamental question. What's MIGS? You want a definition or you want us to define the acronym? M-I-G-S, yeah. yeah. So, okay, that, good start. <laughs> yeah, so. I can do that part. Minimally invasive glaucoma surgery, so, yeah. So, maybe a better question is, what's not MIGS nowadays? I mean, with our current description of when we're talking about minimally invasive, you know, I think the technical term there would be that there's not significant scleral dissection. Right. So Great. Trabs, Did that clarify the that? The yeah. of the yesteryear are kind of uh, are to the side now, you know. So I think uh, certainly we still make uh, bleb-inducing options with MIGS or sort of the combo MIGS, if you will. But in general, we're focused more on uh, what tissue can we look at where trabecular mesh works, limbs canal, where we can actually do some focal work um, and not have to do such uh, larger work, larger risk factors, um, mainly by glaucoma specialists only, uh, which is what we saw in the years of the trabecular on, uh, trabeculectomy only type of options, whereas now um, we can even have, you know, your cataract surgeons um, and your glaucoma surgeons or combined guys uh, do the MIGS and uh, get a lot more bang for our buck. I would just add, you know, I think of it as it's a surgical procedure mm -hmm. that has you know, modest or moderate mm -hmm. efficacy. It's not going to be as efficacious right. as like a tube or a mm -hmm. trab. Right. And these patients recover rapidly. And so the, the data and some of the studies show that they recover as fast as cataract surgery. Hmm. And, with, and with options of not being so invasive that the post-ops are very difficult, um, the risk factors of hypotony or long-term infection are difficult. So, uh, and we can offer this now to more of a mild to moderate of, instead of waiting until the patients are so severe that uh, many times we would go to something more on the scleral-based uh, side in the past. So if we're looking at the advantages there, we have a little bit easier to intervene early. Mm -hmm. So we know that it's a little more predictable from an intervention standpoint. Also, post-operative course is not going to be maybe quite as uh, protracted. Mm -hmm. Might be an easy way to put that. Uh, what about other advantages for it? What else do you guys, I mean, I love the ability to offer my patients an option where they're not honestly terrified. You know, being able to go, We've got surgeries now that are not, it's, this is not unpredictable, this is not scary, especially if they know someone who's had a less than ideal, all patients right. do this. Mm -hmm. I know someone that had an eye surgery that didn't do well. Right. It's like, well, what surgery was it? And he's like, oh, I don't know, it was an eye surgery. Right. right. So it, it is, there's a lot of different levels here. But when we're looking at the advantages of MIGS, where does it really stand out to being able to give the patient better options compared to our, our options in the past? So I think one big advantage, if you look at a lot of the clinical data on it, is, and, and MIGS in general, is that patients can very likely reduce the burden of the medications they're on. And it's, it's not something necessarily that a patient that's on three medications is right. going to get to zero, but we can maybe take a patient that's on two and get them to one, mm -hmm. or one and get them to zero, and then obviously that's going to make compliance better, it's going to make the ocular surface better, and so I think there's advantages there. That's probably one big one that I would say. 
And certainly I lead that discussion to that at some point, you know, hey, we may be able to decrease or minimize your drops. It's just knowing that everyone heals differently. Um, and I've Absolutely. even seen one eye do very well with the same procedure that the other eye did well with, but I didn't get to take the, draw, the drops off as much as I thought. So I'm very um, reluctant to, you know, uh, guarantee, hey, we'll be able to take you off the drop you're on. Um, and that sometimes depends on the MIGS procedure that we choose as well. Uh, and then also kind of, like you said, where they started from, what is their disease progression. You know, um, people that have more severe disease, I'm always a little more reluctant to say, I can get you off drops. Um, patients with more minimal disease, I'm say we have a higher uh, chance of doing that. Um, and again, I think that just depends on doctor, surgeon, options of MIGS, um, and the, the patient, where they start from as well. But in some ways, that's sort of the value, right? So the I, fact that MIGS is not a single procedure, a single method, a single approach, or even honestly working in a single structure, mm -hmm. it allows us to approach the angle kind of as a functional unit instead as we're looking at the entire training system. And I think that's part of why MIGS as a, as a set of procedures allows that adaptability and titratability. Because honestly, even down to interoperatively, it can still be adjusted what we're doing which is, is great. It also takes a little pressure off of it, even discussing it with the patient in advance, because you're going, I can't tell you exactly which thing we're going to do. We're not deciding this at this moment. We're going to make the best choices as we go. Uh, one of the surgeons that I work with, he said, it's amazing the number of times that you'll find a resistance point, depending on exactly what you're doing, like, oops, we're going to adapt here. Mm -hmm. And the ability to realize that, you know, we need a different tool. You started out with uh, a hammer and you realize actually we can do a much smaller adjustment with a screwdriver and have this thing run a little bit better, I think is interesting. Uh, what are the other differences, say, between the different MIGS tools, to use the word again, like stents and things like that, versus other procedures? So there's a wide array of MIGS procedures available, and I think, you know, when MIGS first came out, our thoughts were always, well, this can only be done in combination with cataract right. surgery, and we still mm -hmm. use it a ton in that way. We recommend it to patients if they're on a drop or two and they're going in for cataract surgery. It makes total sense if the surgeon's going in the eye to remove the cataract to perform a MIGS procedure as well. And a lot of times that's stents because that's kind of the label of, of stents. Mm -hmm. But there's other procedures now available that can be done in a standalone situation to lower interocular pressure. You know, they, they'll run a catheter into Schlem's canal as they retract it, they're injecting viscoelastic, which will break up some adhesions yeah. that may be in there trying to kind of dilate that canal. And then they also have the option with some of these procedures to unroof or remove trabecular meshwork to allow flow. So we have standalone, we have things in combination with cataract surgery, and it just leaves a lot more options in our, in our surgeons' back pockets for down the road. We're not using tubes and traps earlier in the disease process, we're waiting until the end of the disease process. And I think the ability on some of those to do them with or without cataract surgery, I'd still say the majority of the MIGs we do is uh, with cataract surgery, but we had a patient recently who had had cataract surgery in the past already with someone who didn't do a MIGS, and then we did it on the second eye, and they were able to get off their drop, and so then we went back and did a MIGS procedure on the pseudophagic eye, and so we were able to, in that case, you know, um, you know, give the patient a, a procedure that, you know, might have normally been done in cataract surgery, but to give them that option uh, later. And so th that's why it's, it's so nice to have these different options on the table. And it's interesting because as uh, we uh, acquired a new glaucoma surgeon a couple of years ago, the things really I've learned when working with him so that to the point where, you know, now I will look at a patient and do the cataract evaluation, look at the number of drops they're on, 
you know, look at the angle itself, decide is this going to be an angle-based option for MIGS, and, you know, what's the severity of it, and to the point that I know at this point now which one he's going to generally choose um, based on just learning about the number of drops, the severity, you know, really what the gonioscopy looks like, um, and so uh, to make that choice, um, and it'd be interesting that, you know, generally 90% of the time that's what he's going to choose. So you can kind of see as time goes by um, the ability to, to, to make that patient-specific I think from in my area, of course, North Mississippi is pretty rural, and one of the hard things is we don't have a lot of glaucoma specialists. Mm -hmm. So the ability to have access where an anterior segment surgeon, an, an angle surgeon, is not this one very, very refined right. skill set. Mm -hmm. It's something that we can have a lot more wide, a lot better access to. That has really been a, a huge asset for us in being able to connect patients who have high need mm -hmm. with with surgery procedures that we know that we're going to have pretty good outcome and safe outcomes. So it's been, that's been a big shift for us. It is interesting as the indications have shifted how we've kind of changed how we use it. It went from, oh, I mean, a few years ago where we had this perfect storm. It had to be the right amount of cataract with the right moment at the right level. The ability to, to double back if we need to or to, to make other options there. It is interesting. In a primary care setting, I have more pseudofakes with glaucoma than cataract patients mm -hmm. with glaucoma. So it's just it's so great to be able to now have, it's like, I've got options for this. And I think furthermore, it's nice to be able to, you're talking about all the different areas within the system, to know that we can kind of cover them all at once compared to having to guess at which procedure we're gonna do and which level is it gonna do, because that can create some, some disappointing outcomes. You know, if you, we do a laser procedure and the patient goes, well, did it work? And you're like, well, it, it helped, it just didn't get us where we need to go. A lot of patients see that as a failure. But the ability to say, you know, this is a process. We have different tools, and we're going to have to work our way through this. Uh, there's a quote that a, a friend of mine has, and I love it. He says, glaucoma fights back. And it, it's a great way of thinking. It's not that we failed or the patient did something wrong or anything else. It's that we have to do more. And as glaucoma fights back, that's okay. So can we. And now we can target more than just one spot. We can work all the way through the entire system and know that we can bring them a lot, new a lot of new options. Well, I think as, uh, as we see that again, to bring it back to other types of health care, you know, as a pharmacist, I see that, you know, we, we start with maybe for hypertension, you know, hydrochlorothiazide or Lasix, and, you know, and then you add on. So I think the patients aren't completely, you know, unused to having those types of things. You know, diabetes, you might start with metformin, but you may end up in an insulin or an insulin-like um, um, injection now. So I think having those options and being able to say, well, you know, we don't always hit it out of the park with the first option, but, you know, anything's better than having you on three bottles of drops. And and to the point with the glaucoma issue, I actually think more MIGs, really, um, I don't have a study to pack it up, but I would say more MIGs is being done by your regular cataract surgeons, not your glaucoma guys. I mean, most of our glaucoma, the worst glaucoma is going to go, again, to some of these heavier, either heavier MIGs or back to your traps or your valves. Um, but, I mean, most of the MIGs done in our office is done by our glaucoma, I mean, by our cataract surgeons. Um, and so those, uh, making it easier for them to do that instead of having to be, felt, feel like their glaucoma trained is another way that MIGS is advancing. So if we set aside severity, how big a deal is it for us to be able to intervene earlier now surgically? Because we have more surgeons, we have procedures that are less invasive, we have, we're addressing more of the process, more of our points of resistance. I mean, how big a deal, how much does this change our intervention model? Yeah, I think, you know, 
the low-hanging fruit is the easy cataract surgery and they're already on medications. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The tougher stuff is you have a patient that is, you know, on maybe a drop or multiple drops and they're slightly progressing. And surgery is still surgery and so we want to be diligent about, you know, making that decision for our patients if we should have them undergo surgery or not. But the biggest thing for me is the compliance and adherence thing. I don't ever want to go to a third bottle. Right. So if I have a patient even with mild glaucoma, sometimes you need two bottles on a mild glaucoma mm -hmm. patient to make sure that they don't right. progress quickly. Mm -hmm. And if for some reason I can't control it with those two bottles and I have to go to that third, I'm going to start talking to them about MIGs. So for me, it's a, it's a patient quality of life, adherence, compliance issue, which forces me to think more about intervening earlier with MIGs than I would in the past. And in our practices, we already probably have the more advanced kind of glaucoma patients. So, you know, I'm thinking, what about all of the patients that are out there in primary care settings um, that are on one drop and maybe progressing or they need to go to the second or people that just keep adding? I think the education piece is, hey, there's options out there now, um, and we just need them to get into a place where we have surgeons who are doing MIGs um, and different types of MIGs um, as options for the patients, so not just one type. Um, that they kind of have that gamut of options uh, that can be patient specific and, and that the primary care optometrist can help us out by sending those patients in on earlier than they might would in the past um, because they know now these options are available. And they're, and they're, you know, I wouldn't say easy, but they're definitely not to where we used to think about what glaucoma surgery was um, in the past and the concerns in the post-op and the risk factors that we saw before. Uh, and, and another thing to add, you know, you, you, glaucoma is never easy to manage, no matter if it's mm -hmm. ocular hypertension, mild, moderate, or severe. But a patient with mild glaucoma mm -hmm. is a little easier to manage from a time standpoint than mm -hmm. a patient that has severe glaucoma. Because a severe glaucoma patient, you're probably bringing into your clinic every three that, months mm -hmm. to check pressures, to mm -hmm. look at visual fields. So that takes up a bunch of staff time. It takes mm -hmm. up a bunch of your time. It doesn't allow maybe more patients for you to be seen. So if you can keep patients at a lower level, mild, maybe moderate, or, or not even mild, you know, they're not going to be in your office as often. You're still managing glaucoma, but from a cost standpoint in your practice, it allows you to be more efficient and your staff to be more efficient, and you don't have to worry as much about being inundated with the severe glaucoma patient population. Absolutely. Not to mention there's the callbacks associated with those because once we start going multiple meds, we start getting multiple calls and multiple fills per month for that patient. And it's a lot of work. It's amazing the number of times you talk to your staff about something like that and you don't really realize just how heavy that burden is on them. Or how much they're taking care of that you never get Didn't to really use. even you realize didn't even they were know doing. That they were doing that many callbacks. Yeah, see, I, I thought sure. they were just playing, you know, right, yeah. <laughs> you know something you on the that. phone. <laughs> and it's like, what are you doing? And it's like, well, it's their fifth PA on Mr. So and So. And you're going, oh, no. And then we wonder why they progress. You right. know, I think one big difference is our technology is advanced diagnostically. Mm -hmm. Our staging has changed a lot too. I mean, I'd say in my opinion, the last 10 to 15 years, my number of mild or what I would have called mild is, is really a little more moderate. And, mm -hmm. and that's scary. If that patient is particularly younger and we know, you know, lifespans are increasing, this is a long road for those patients. Now, particularly the moderate to severe, fairly young patient, that's a scary patient. That's it a is. patient where it's stepping in sooner is great and it gives us a lot more options to where we know we don't have to worry. You mentioned the low-hanging fruit. I think, you know, I started out with the, from a MIGS referral standpoint, looking at my patients that were non-compliant advancing and that seemed like, oh, this is easy. They're, they're going in for cataract surgery anyway. This is the one that's easy. Well, then we started looking at outcomes and looking at what was happening and 
particularly in the South, where we have other comorbidities at work, mm -hmm. diabetes, hypertension, other vascular issues, they advance pretty rapidly in some cases. And so we started going, this is becoming something I need to pick up in my process much sooner, which changes the way that I educate those patients too. So now it's not just yelling at my non-compliant patients, it's also starting to sow the seeds of this process much, much earlier. Uh, what can help that conversation be better for time of surgery and for the entire team, from primary care to secondary tertiary care to even down to the surgery schedulers and the surgeons, making sure that the process is customized for every single patient? Well, for us, with, when it's referral-based, the patient knows, we know they're coming in for a glaucoma or cataract or both. Um, so I think uh, in that case, it's a little easier on us in a referral center because we know when they walk in the door, we see what they're coming in for. You know, the optometrist already tells us they have both, you know, disease states. Um, and so we're able to already customize that exam, you know, to include gonio and include other things that we can kind of talk, start talking about right off the bat. I think the, the different issue would be on patients who don't come in for the cataract glaucoma. They're just coming in for glaucoma. Um, and I think that uh, needs to be set you know, at the primary care optometry office to say, hey, just like we talked about, there are other options out there now. You know, I'm getting to a point where I can't control you on drops. You're progressing. You're only 55. You know, these are things that I want to go ahead and get you know, an opinion on. Is there something else we can do um, surgically uh, to help me control where you're at? 